0: You want me
1: to say the title first? Yep. Thank you for tuning in to Show Your Work. I'm Tyler Barton, and today I'm going to take a piece of flash fiction that I love and demand the author show us how it was made. We're going to go line by line, influence by influence, trial by trial, error by error, ultimately to celebrate the success of one fine piece of flash fiction. This week, it's Dennis Herbert's story, Everybody is Waiting, published last fall in The Argonaut little story is all voice, pace, and momentum. On the surface, it's the perfect story for conspiracy theorists and fans of Jurassic Park, but Dennis helps us to see how it's also sort of an ars poetica. Here's Dennis.
0: When we made the prompt, I told him that is heaven, that dinosaurs could be waiting in heaven. If they had it their way, I would have stayed down there for years. If they had it their way, I would have never written the word. It definitely came from a prompt even though like it's a prompt that I made. I was definitely thinking about dinosaurs at the time and the line was everybody is waiting. When I escaped from the small metal box the government kept me in, I walked for months through cornfield after cornfield. I was in the MFA program for three years. This was our last event. Like we were making our final prompt and like everything was kind of winding down and I had been thinking a lot about what it will be like to leave the place that I'm in and then go out into, you know, a world that's pretty indifferent when it comes to people writing, people doing art, you know, you have to you have to find your people and the luxury of the MFA is just having that around you all the time. I think that had been on my mind, you know, using that idea, using a character representing an artist in the real world. Imagine this, some shirtless, dirty boy. Starved and skinny, appearing in your dining room, pulling a chair up to the table, blood on his face from an animal he ate, fingernails sharpened the claws, taking a seat and reaching a hand into the chicken carcass. I was like a biter when I was a kid, man. I had like these friends across the street, the Gavers, Robert and, and uh, Kara Gaver. And I have got sent home so many times for biting Kara. <laughs> Did you like Kara? I didn't like bite her because I liked her. I bit her because like I was a kid. I was a weird kid that like was in the biting. Like there, you do inexplicable things on a daily basis, and we're animals, and sometimes you do something just because you think you're supposed to, or just because you're you're not even driven by something that is in your head. It just feels right. So. Before the adults came and got me, she held my hands, looked close at my fingernail claws, and I bit her hard, screamed on the soft flesh of her upper arm. So I thought people cared that you were a writer. I thought people like were interested. What I learned is no one really gives a fuck if you're a writer or not. And you really have to actively seek the people that you want to be around. And I think that's a good thing to go along with this story because that's definitely where, I, where my mind was. Part of that character being part of me type thing was like getting to that, biting. You will come across the people that understand you. And there are, you know, a list of ways to fuck that up. I know you're half crazy, she said, but I don't care. And we stood up together at the base of the miniature lava river volcano. And you gotta know that people around you are probably genuinely trying to get you to a better place and especially now like if I'm in a workshop now with somebody we're definitely taking a lot of personal time to make that happen it's not like built in in the classroom where maybe there is some poison getting thrown around but now you know anybody that gives you constructive criticism is just trying to help you and just trying to help the piece so you know don't bite them that metaphor Drives this piece. It gives it the energy I needed it to have and it doesn't beat you over the head Then on a clear night lit silver by the moon I fell upon a family of four gathered around a table with a roast chicken and green beans in their modest mid-sized farmhouse I snuck in a side door without making a sound Usually when I'm writing and especially when I'm writing flash I'm going sentence by sentence And all along, I knew that I was going to read this piece out loud, which I think makes you aware of certain things. So, like, cadence is always really important. You know, matching the rhythms of sentences up. You know, not having five long sentences in a row, like mixing of short and long is a big thing. And then, of course, how things sound. But the other younger daughter who had stayed in her seat said... Everybody is waiting and took me by the hand and led me down a soft carpeted hallway toward a white door marked J in pink. Welcome, she said, to Jurassic Park. And the poets are best at doing the things that sound good or doing the things that click in your head and you see it. And we're trying to do that as fiction writers also, but you know you got it's nitty and gritty it's it's the right arrangement of words it's the right letters next to the right letters and how they sound coming out of your mouth you got to read more poetry red lights flash through her window onto her ceiling turning the fluffy painted clouds to fiery ashes and um that so yeah you asked me earlier if i did something i never did before having this like parenthetical sound effect and right in the middle of the sentence, like made me think I was doing something cool, and i I like it. The mother pointed at my bright red wristband. He's from not allowed to say, so yeah, not allowed to say in brackets I stole that from George Saunders, so he does that of stuff. So he descended and all heads turned where was special one and when the first time I saw him do it, I was just like this badass. I also borrowed this from the Great Outdoors movie. Dan Aykroyd tells a story. They just hear a really scary story about a bear that's around where they're living. And his two twins are afraid of that story. And they're like up in their beds and he goes up to make them feel better. And he tells them, I know how you're feeling. You know, when I was a kid, my uncle told me this story oh, about men who escaped
1: by from a the band of escaped army psychiatric patients who'd been subjected to violent, hellish, torturous behavior modification experiments. Seems they escaped from the metal boxes the army kept them in, found this family in the woods,
0: fell upon them, slaughtered them and ate. So, that I mean, very much borrowed from that, very much just like the stuff that kind of seeps out in your writing—it fascinates me. I picked up one of the flying ones and soared over the bed sheets in the volcanic land. She said, "Meteor," and slammed a soccer ball into the canyon with all the ferns and the brontosaurus eggs. Sure, and it's a plot device. I mean, this cataclysmic event—that is the end. You know, this kid, the the red lights. I mean, he, the police or the officials are catching up to him. So this beautiful moment is coming to an end, and when she slams meteor and the dinosaurs go extinct, um, that's the same for his his time in, the, in a fantasy land.
1: And now here's Dennis Herbert reading his story, Everybody is Waiting, in full.
0: Everybody is Waiting. I know you like stories about making friends. I met my fake friends when I was thrown, duct taped, and gagged into the back of a van. They locked us all in the basement with Mr. Rogers' Imagination Land and Shadow Puppet shows on the wall. If they had it their way, I would have stayed down there for years. If they had it their way, I would have never written a word. But I'm out. I got out. And now I'm the crazy one because I tell people oxygen is universal energy. Because I say, you never know, you never know, you never know. Because I say, there are other dimensions. Dinosaurs could be waiting in heaven. And I have reasons because this is a tough story to tell. When I escaped from the small metal box the government kept me in, I walked for months through cornfield after cornfield. Then, on a clear night lit silver by the moon, I fell upon a family of four gathered around a table with a roast chicken and green beans in their modest mid-sized farmhouse. I snuck in the side door without making a sound. My bare feet nearly silent, only small creaks atop the wooden floor. Imagine this some shirtless dirty boy starved and skinny appearing in your dining room Pulling a chair up to the table blood on his face from an animal He ate fingernails sharpened to claws taking a seat and reaching a hand into the chicken carcass a Daughter screamed the mother screamed the mother pointed at my bright red wristband He's from not allowed to say the father said what in the hell the three of them jumped and ran out the door Call the police, she said. I am, I am, he said. But the other younger daughter who had stayed in her seat said, Everybody is waiting. And took me by the hand and led me down a soft carpeted hallway toward a white door marked J in pink. Welcome, she said, turning the handle of the door to Jurassic Park. The most beautiful memory I have... A room with walls painted like lush jungle and a bright yellow stegosaurus in the plastic jaws of a purple T-Rex. I picked up one of the flying ones and soared over the bedsheets in the volcanic land. This is the greatest day of my life, I said to the girl, swooping with spread wings. She said, Meteor, and slammed a soccer ball into the canyon with all the ferns and the brontosaurus eggs. Now the sun is blotted out. They need oxygen. Oxygen is universal energy. They're all dead. Red lights flashed through her window onto her ceiling, turning the fluffy painted clouds to fiery ashes. I know you're half crazy, she said, but I don't care. And we stood up together at the base of the miniature lava river volcano. Before the adults came and got me, she held my hands, looked close at my fingernail claws, and I bit her hard, scream on the soft flesh of her upper arm because it felt like the right thing to do.
1: All right, thank you for listening to Show Your Work. Today we talked with Dennis Herbert about his story Everybody is Waiting. If you want to find other episodes of this podcast, you can find them at Fearnolit.com. Thank you to Dennis for doing this, to Minnesota State University for letting me use the space. Our music was produced by me. The show was produced by me. My name is Tyler Barton. I'm clapping myself on the back. Anyway, here is an extra for you.
0: I can tell you about some of these other rejections I have coming in.
1: Oh. <laughs> we don't need to go into that. That would be a good podcast, though, where you just talk <laughs> with writers about, like, talk about specific rejections. That's the other
0: thing. We can go back to how you bite the literary community, you know, bite her on the arm. Don't lash out at editors, like... Oh my gosh, they're just trying to make the best publication they can make. And you don't want to be in that unless you really belong in that, you know, because they have a vision. You don't want them to compromise to make your Saturday morning feel better. And
1: this, this, like you were saying, the community is so... There's not the community's not that large, so if you're gonna like take broad strokes like that, it's gonna go around really well. Quickly. And we're all you're connected be now. Really yeah, quickly. we're all. <laughs>
0: I constantly see that on Twitter yeah. of like editors reaching out to their friends who are also editors, talking about listen to what this person did to me. Yeah, and people don't get it. I mean.